Our God is constantly at work, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. By faith, we know that our God is working. I invite you this morning to uh, take your Bibles, your electronic devices, the Pew Bible in front of you, whatever you may be using, and join me over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This morning we are continuing our series that we've called Goals. Uh, we'll be in this series till the end of the month of January. Uh, just a side note uh, for you. I'm so thankful for the staff that we have here as a church. I know for the last couple of weeks you've had the privilege of hearing Adam Reilly share here in the auditorium, and Adam is one of our elders, and Adam is a young man of God, and I'm thrilled that we have men like that who are serving on our staff. We take a team approach to ministry here. If you're newer to our church, this church is not about one individual or one pastor. It's about us all working together for the glory of God. So this morning we're going to continue with our series on goals. And it's, we thought about this series, and we thought about talking to our church. It's been a while since we've talked about money with our church. And I know that many churches do a series in the month of January in which they focus on money, in which they strive to make everybody feel guilty, and they, you know, you feel you kind of come out kind of beat up and feel like you've been run over, and, that, and that's not our intention here whatsoever. But we are going to talk about money because the Bible talks about money. And as I thought about this, I did a little bit of, of dreaming. I wondered, what would happen? What if every member of this church and every regular attendee of this church put God first? What if none of us had any idols? What if God was first when we make our plans? What if God is first when we think about our money and our possessions? What if God were first in everything that we do? What would that mean for Maranatha Bible Church? What would that mean in our ability to reach into the community around us and around the world? I also wondered, what if everyone was generous? I want you to ask yourself a question. We'll be focusing in on this this morning. Are you a generous person? Are you known as a generous person? Husbands, do your wives think of you as generous? Parents, do your children think of you as generous? Do the people who know you, do they think of you as being generous? Uh, we'll talk more about this this morning. But what would it be like if every member, every attendee of Maranatha Bible Church was known for being generous? What would it be like if every member and every regular attendee of Maranatha Bible Church was out of debt? 
Well, we could be a lot more generous, couldn't we? If we were all out of debt. What would that look like for us if everyone was out of debt? We have a problem with debt. As a country, we have a problem with debt. We keep going deeper and deeper into the hole that we're digging. As individuals, we have a problem with debt. The average American household carries $137,000 in debt. Americans owe over $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. Students, be careful. Don't dig a hole for the rest of your life. Unfortunately, we've had students that I'm aware of that take their student loans and they don't even use it for school. They use it to buy video game systems. They use it to buy TVs. They use it to buy other things, not realizing someday they're going to have to pay that back. Most American households could not withstand an emergency of $1,000. It would put them under if that happened. We are drowning in credit card debt. For people who do not pay their balances off at the end of each month. Now listen, credit cards are neither good nor bad. They're a tool that can be used if they're used properly. But if you're not able to pay off your credit card at the end of each month, you are misusing that credit card. For those who cannot pay off their debt at the end of each month, the average balance that people are carrying in America is $9,333. What if that all went away? for the members of Maranatha Bible Church and the regular attendees. What if instead of giving 20 20 to 25% to the credit card companies, we now had that money to give for God's work to advance? What if everyone, every member, gave at least 10% to the church? Now, we believe in grace giving here. It's not about a percentage. But I believe there's established in the Bible at least the principle of 10%, which should be something that we are striving to reach in our giving to the Lord. Now, we'll talk more about the the giving later on in this series. But what would happen if everyone gave at least 10% to the church. What, the, what would that mean for us as a church? Now, I don't ask that this morning to guilt you. We've, we've all had enough messages on guilt about giving. I don't say that to you because as a church, we're in crisis mode. Some of you have come from churches where it seems like that's all they talk about is money, 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 money. Others of you have come from churches, they never want to mention it because people will be offended by it. There's a balance to be taken. But I don't share it because here at Maranatha, we're in dire need now, and if you don't give, uh, next week you're going to come in, the lights are going to be out, the, the, you know, the heat's not going to be on. Because of the generous giving 
of God's people. The needs of this ministry have been met through our 24 plus years. Because we have a group of, of elders who manage your giving, and we take our responsibility as being very important as those who will one day have to give an account to God for how every penny is used. I just want to share with you the, so that you will know how the elders here manage the funds of this church. Most of you probably noticed this year we had to put a new roof on the church. We had wind and we had hail damage. In addition to that, we had other portions of the roof that were not going to be covered by insurance. The entire bill to do this roof, to add to our warranty on the roof so that we have a 50-year roof, 40 years from gutter to, to gutter, all the sections except the flat roofs, the bill was over $525,000, over half a million dollars. Now, insurance, thankfully, covered a good portion of that, but for us to get the extended warranty and to do the roof correctly, our share of that was over $194,000. But because the elders knew that one day we would have to put a roof on this building, and because they're managing the giving that was giving. We did not have to come to you and ask for one penny in additional giving in order that this might happen. And that bill was totally paid. Why? Because people have generously given to this ministry. And we thank you for those generous gifts that have been given to us through the years. But what would happen if everyone put God first, if everyone was generous, if everyone was out of debt so we could be even more generous, and if everyone at least tithed 10% to the church, what would it look like? This morning, I want to zero in as we set goals that we have a goal to be a more generous people and that we could be a more generous church. Follow with me in your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul begins in this section with a command. Notice he says, as for the rich. Now before I move on, I don't want you all to tune me out right now. Because you're going to say, hey, this says this is for the rich people, so I, I, I'm exempt here because I'm certainly not rich. And I dare say, if I ask the question, how many of you consider yourself to be financially rich? If I ask you to stand up, there wouldn't be many of you standing. Some of you would. But friends, that's the wrong perspective. 
Pretty much everybody here this morning is rich by the world's standards. As I travel to other countries, as I meet Christians in other countries, I often go back to my hotel room and I pray that night, God, why have you blessed me so much that I was born in America? Why have you blessed me so much with all the goods that I have? Why me? Why not my brothers and sisters here who are struggling? And I'm overwhelmed by the blessings of material things that God has given to me. And by standards around the world, the people in our church who are at the lowest end of the economic scale would be considered rich in their cultures by many, many people around the world. This is for us today, for all of us. We have been blessed by God and placed at this time in this place with the possessions that He has given to us and we are very rich in this world's goods. We don't think we are because we compare ourselves to someone else. And we always compare ourselves to what? Someone who has a lot more than we have. I don't have what they have. They're rich, not me. No, we are all rich with what God has blessed us with. So to the rich, in this present age, charge them. This is a command. That word to charge is a command. Those of you who served in the military, what's it mean when you get a command? You what? You, you do it. You don't say, hey, let's talk about this. Have you considered this or, or that? When you are given a command, you are expected to what? Obey the command or you may end up in the brig, right? Right. Obey. So this is a command. It's a military term that's used by Paul here. Charge them not to be haughty. The command. Do not be high-minded. That's what that word haughty means. Do not be high-minded. Do not be arrogant. Just because you have this world's goods, do not be arrogant. Do not be high-minded. This word has a negative meaning. It's used only twice in the New Testament. Here is one of the times. The other times is found over in Romans chapter 11 where the Gentiles are told, don't you be haughty and high-minded toward the Jewish people. God is not through with Israel yet. Remember, you were a branch that was grafted in. So don't you get all puffed up as Gentiles and look down on the Jewish people. Don't you do that. Don't you be haughty. Don't be high-minded. You know, there are warnings in the Bible for those who are rich. There are warnings in the Bible for those who are employers, those who own businesses. In James chapter 5, in verses 1 to 5, James writes this, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Don't be haughty. Don't be high-minded. Paul is here talking to those that are rich. Earlier in the passage, over in verse 9, he talked about those who want to get rich. I mean, as you're living your life, and in particular, young people, what's your goal in life? Is your goal to just get rich, to make as much money as you can? Listen to what God says. Chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich... Right, now we're dealing with the rich. Before this, Paul has addressed those who want to be rich. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. I don't know how many lives I've seen, how many marriages I've seen that have been ruined through the desire of people to get rich. Family is set aside so they can focus on getting rich. Do not be high-minded. Along with this comes the attitude that we have toward those who are less well-off than we are, that are poor. We tend sometimes to have this idea. Well, you know, if they really worked as hard as I work, then they wouldn't be poor. If they really manage their money the way that I manage my money, they wouldn't be poor. Well, there may be some cases where that's true, but that's not true of all the poor. And when we have that attitude that we give toward everyone that is poor, we are haughty and high-minded, and we are not recognizing that all we have is a gift from God that He's given to us. Even our ability to work and earn money our intelligence, whatever we may have. We brought none of it into the world with us, and we're taking none of it out with us when we leave. It's because of God. Do not be high-minded. Instead, be higher-minded. Don't focus on the riches, but focus on God. You're not looking high enough when you look at the possessions of this world. You need to look to God. So don't be high-minded. Be higher-minded. And right along with that, we see in the passage, Paul goes on to say, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Do not trust in the uncertainty of riches. You realize you could lose everything that you have? All won't happen to me. There are many businessmen 
who've made that statement in the past and then found that they did lose everything. Most of us, if we have invested for the future, probably have monies in stocks or mutual funds and things such as that. And you had a pretty good year last year, didn't you? For the most part, things went up pretty well in the last year, and you're pretty happy. But what would happen tomorrow if you turned on the news and you found that the stock market just dived 2,000 points? The uncertainty of it, that could happen. People throughout all time have thought that their riches were secure only to find that things can happen and we can lose everything. Do not trust in the uncertainty of riches. Instead, trust in the unchanging God. Don't put it in those riches that will come and go but put it in the immutable God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you thankful we can depend upon God? That's why the Old Testament often portrays him as a rock who is stable, who is unchanging. That's our God. This world will change. Riches may come and go, but our God remains the same. Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said this, I don't care who he is, he may be an emperor or a pope, but no one is rich until he is rich in his relationship with God. Don't be high-minded, be higher-minded. Don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. Trust in the unchanging God. Do not be filled with anxiety. Riches have a way of making us nervous, don't they? When things start not to go so well, we become concerned, we become worried. You know, in our previous series, we talked about anxiety and how anxiety can get a hold of us. Jesus talked about anxiety and he told us not to be worried about the things of this world because our Father knows that which we need and he provides for us. He talked about the birds of the air, how God provides for them, the lilies of the field, how God arrays them in all their, their beauty. So we should not be filled with anxiety. Instead, we're to enjoy God. Look at what he says here. To us. He says, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, in verse 17, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you enjoy God? Do we enjoy God? John Piper talks a lot about Christian hedonism. That God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Sure, God wants us to know Him. Sure, God wants us to obey Him. But God also wants us to enjoy Him. 
In our passage, Paul is telling us that God has provided us with everything we need. He's provided us with everything to enjoy. So let's not be worried or filled with anxiety. Let's enjoy God. Because we can't serve two different masters. In Matthew, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, in light of this, Paul then gives us some actions that we are to do. Verse 18, they are to do good, right? Action step number one, do good. Do good. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25 tells us, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John writes, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Do good works. Now, we're not saved by good works. We're saved only by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, by putting our faith and trust in him, by confessing our sin and asking for his forgiveness. Are we saved? But we are saved to do good. Dear friend, if you're here with us this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I know I'm talking a little bit about money here this morning. We don't want your money. See, ch some churches won't talk about money because they know that those who don't know the Lord says that's all the church is interested in is their money. We're not interested in your money. We're interested in you having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that offering plate is passed, if you're here, maybe you attend every week, but you've never given your life to the Lord, I don't want you to feel as if you should drop anything into that offering plate. Keep it. Don't give it. You're not going to earn a way to heaven. You're not going to get any brownie points with God. God's people will give the money for God's work to be done. What I want you to focus on is what's your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to do good. We are to be generous as believers in giving to Him. So not only are we to do good works, but the next step is said, we're told to be generous. We should be generous with our possessions. We should be generous with our time, generous with our life. Be generous. Proverbs 19, 17 Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. If I'm going to loan some money to someone, you know who I'd like to loan it to? The Lord. And when we are generous to the poor, we are lending to the Lord. Proverbs 22.9 reminds us, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. 
Luke 6, 38 tells us, given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul, talking about giving, says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We'll talk more about this in the series, but notice what it says, God loves a cheerful giver. That means hilarious. When's the last time you laughed when you gave your gift to the Lord? Not because it was so small, but you laughed. Because out of joy, you were giving. And dear Christian friend, let me address you for a moment this morning. If when the offering plate passes or when you give online or however you give, if your attitude is this, got to give more money to the church. Wish I didn't have to give this money. Keep it then. Really. Not kidding. Keep it. With that kind of attitude, God's not going to bless you for giving anyway. We give because we want to honor God and serve God. And we give because he has been generous to us. And we want to be a blessing to others. We are to be generous. Now for many of us, one of the reasons we are not as generous as we should be is because of how sloppy we are in handling our money and our desires. The reality is we all have money for the things that we want to have money for. But for many of us, we see something and we have to have it when? Now. We do not deny ourselves different things because we feel we have to have instant gratification of our desires. And we continue to gather more and more junk that we really do not need. We need to be generous. Debt has kept us from being generous. We are charged by God to be generous. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. And then this one says, ready to share. Are you ready to share? There's a difference between being willing to share and being ready to share. We can be willing but not ready. As I thought about these words this week, I thought, am I really ready to share? Do I put myself in a position that when I see a need, I'm ready to respond to it? Paul tells us we should be ready to share with others. And 
the words that are used here convey not only the attitude, we have to have the attitude of being ready to share, but it also includes the follow-through on it. When the Spirit prompts your heart to give, to be generous with someone, do you respond or do you argue with it? Because oftentimes I found in my own life the opportunity presents itself, but if I don't act immediately, the opportunity will soon be gone. Am I sensitive enough to the Spirit of God and have I made plans that I am ready to be generous with someone else? What would it look like if as a whole church we were ready to be generous with individuals? And, and I believe we have many in this church who are generous, who are ready to be generous, but I'm talking about if it became an attitude for all of us. You know, when we do this, when we're generous, when we follow the promptings and the leadings of the Lord, there's a reward in it for us. Now, we don't do it to get the reward, but notice what Paul says. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves. When you are generous, you are storing up treasures for yourself. Look, this life is so short. As I grow older, I become more and more aware of how short life is. As I see friends going on to heaven before me, I recognize how short this life is. James says that life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment, and then it's gone. I recognize the shortness, but there is an eternity before us. And we are storing up treasure for ourselves. And he goes on and says, as a good foundation for the future. How important is a foundation? The building will crumble if the foundation is not firm. I remember growing up across the street from a friend of mine was a beautiful house that remained unlived in for years because they would not give the okay for anyone to move into the house because the foundation was faulty. We provide a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We truly live. Life is not about the things that we have. It's not about possessions. It's about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about enjoying God and all that he provides for us. That is true life. As I was reading this week, I came across something that I thought was a little ironic. It was Sigmund Freud's favorite story. Sigmund Freud's favorite story was about a sailor shipwrecked on a South Sea island. The natives captured him and put him on their shoulders and carried him to their village and set him on a crude throne. 
Little by little, the man learned that it was their custom each year to make some man a king for a year. He liked that idea until he began wondering what happened to all the previous kings. He discovered that after a year was up, the kings were banished to a deserted island where they starved to death. The sailor didn't like that idea a whole lot. But he realized he still had some time left. So he put his subjects to work. He had them build a house on the deserted island. He had them transplant fruit trees and plant crops on the island. So when the year was up, as he knew it would be, he was banished, not to a barren island, but to a place of abundance. How unfortunate that Freud did not live his life in light of his favorite story. My friends, life is not about our possessions here. There is an eternity before us. We need to be generous with what God has provided for us. For in doing so, we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can happen to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity, Lord. We pray that you would help us to put our trust in you. I ask that you would help each of us, that we might use that which you've entrusted to us for your glory. Help us to be generous with others, even as you have been generous with us. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.